joining us for Be Our Geek, where everyone is a geek about something and where we cover your pop culture landscape through our geek lens. I, of course, am Ms. Shannon, here with my regular co-host and podcasting life mate, Jayden Satia, Executive Director of the Twin Cities Film Fest. Hello, Jayden. Uh, we have been talking more lately, so I don't feel as uh, lost and in the weeds as I did last time we did the show, because it had been a while since I had a chance to see your lovely, smiling Twin Cities Film Fest face. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, it's just a, uh, I don't know, I've just had an off week um, just overall, just kind of like mentally got some blocks out, went to go work out, just in my own basement right now, <laughs> still not going to the gym. Um, but, uh, but it was great to see you at our, at our uh, panel discussion that we launched. Um, so, of course, you bring the joy to my life. So the more I could see, the more I could hear you. Uh, a week gets better and better. So thank um, you. The feeling is mutual. Good, so thank you very much. I agree. Like last week was a little complex, but we had a great time at our first uh, Empower Roundtable where we were talking about diverse storytelling. So that was fantastic. So if anybody's interested, we will make sure that we link to all of that on all of our Be Our Geek uh, social media pages and all of those things out there. So it is nice to see you more often. I am glad that you are doing well. I see that you have not uh, um, gotten a haircut since we saw each other. I thought that was top of mind. No, and actually, I had a hat on, just took it off. Okay, um, I get a haircut, and I went oh, to a professional this time. See, uh, and uh, I think she did a pretty good job. It was just weird wearing a mask and then continuing to take the mask, the ear things off, so she could get behind my ears, and it's just a interesting but i could not go without a professional haircut any longer so i did i did i ended up going and it was a good it was a good experience it was safe and wonderful um i did so look it's short oh yeah it it's is short. short you're right it is i thought you still had the fluffy bangs that you had from last time so no you're right and i didn't, didn't butcher my hair either so i'm 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 good. That is going to be an excellent transition as we bring on our guest geek for this week. Just because we're talking about baseball caps, and if you are watching any of the promos for this, you will see that he has one on as well. So, Jayton, I am very happy to introduce to you and all of our BR Geek listeners, my friend, comedian, podcaster, and true crime geek, Dan Bublitz Jr. Hello, Mr. Bublitz Jr. How are you doing this episode? I'm doing pretty good, except for all the talk about hair, because... <laughs> I don't have hair. I don't get to go to get my hair cut because it doesn't really grow. <laughs> well, it's quite inconvenient, you've learned from Mr. Satia sharing his story. So yeah. you're doing okay, Dan. Your, your yeah. hair is built for COVID era, then. Yes, it really is. All I have to do is shave my head. I cut it myself. I don't... <laughs> Well, you two are both the successfully relationship folks on this episode. So uh, just so you know, Jayden did his own and he had an assist from his wife. So is that an option, Dan? Would you like to get your lovely lady friend to maybe assist you with the, 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 the shaving of it? Or can you do it completely on your own? I can complete, do it completely on my own. I've been balding for a long time, so I've been shaving my head for a long time. Right. So, so it's I'm just pro. easier. I'm to, pro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How yeah. often, I'm curious, how often do you shave? I head? probably do it like once a month, thereabouts. Okay. Yeah. Same with my beard. I usually do it once a month. I'll shave my head, trim my beard, do do it all at once. Well, you both are very, like, I am not a big facial hair person, but you both have the quality and the style of facial hair that I co-sign. So, not that you asked me, but, <laughs> like, yeah. but both of you have, like, yeah. you are very well groomed. Congratulations, gentlemen. Congratulations. So, if we ever need yeah. a grooming geek, <laughs> I don't think we need to ask anybody else on. The two of you can do it. And it'll be great. It's, it's easy that way. I think he would agree as well. Oh, yeah. I couldn't imagine having a big, wily beard. And and I know my partner would not have it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not her jam. <laughs> do not go so Grizzly Adams in this house. Is that is that the rule, the unspoken rule? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It starts getting too wily and wily. She's like, you need to trim. <laughs> <laughs> At least she tells you. That's the same with my son. So my son will come up to me and he goes like, you need to shave, you need to trim. He's six years old. He was like, you're, you're very scraggly. I'm like, where did you learn that word? I don't even know what that is. Do they say scraggly on Daniel Tiger? Was he watching like something on PBS and they used the word scraggly and now it's part um, of his daily lexicon? 
either that or he probably heard my wife say it to him. They were like, your dadly's looking a little scraggly today. And then he just came up and said, you look scraggly. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know he you probably, look bad. It's, it's probably planted so she doesn't have to say it. Right. She gets to be kind. Our kids get to be honest, absolutely honest. So that's good. Yeah, Dan, that is the thing, too. Like, you, you, like, Jaden and I both have kids. Dan uh, virtually met my son, Jaden, just so you know, because I was, uh, Dan was kind enough to have me on his podcast, The Art of Bombing, which we'll talk about this episode as well. Um, and my son was fully engaged with being disruptive the entire episode. So thank you very much for your patience, uh, Dan. <laughs> Cause Very was, entertaining. <laughs> it was the most, this is what Miss Shannon's life looks like when other people aren't around. It's just her and her kid, as you can get. It was full on, <laughs> this is mommy dommy time, and he was not having that mom had to do a podcast. Did not give two shakes. Didn't care. So... <laughs> So, Dan, before we get into you, are, you know, when I ask you, as I ask all of our guests, what is it that you geek out about? We kind of just to make it easy go. What's the thing that you really love talking about that your partners and friends are sick of you talking about? And we kind of start with that. And so you brought up a couple of things. We're going to mostly focus on true crime today. But you also brought up the, the concept of social media, which I just thought was an interesting selection as well. So what about social media gets you all fired up? Well, it's not necessarily social media. It's social media marketing. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I'm actually about to graduate with a, a associate's degree in marketing. So I don't know. I'm just kind of a nerd about it. it. I, it's interesting to see like different trends, you know, with different, uh, platforms, you know, with social media as far as what, what ends up trending, you know, like for example, TikTok. I like seeing, I like kind of watching what works, what doesn't. Right. I do a lot of my own experiments, even like, you know, on, on Instagram, you know, trying different, uh, different lengths of video and different, uh, hashtags and just things like that. So it's really, for me, it's just interesting to watch to see what works and what doesn't. Right. And then at the end of the day, you realize, well, it doesn't matter. It's all luck because algorithms <laughs> control it all. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Then you're just a little bit heartbroken, just a wee bit. But you are yeah. very familiar with having that video content out there because uh, you do have your Amazon Prime show that was out there. It was supposed to be a love story. So tell us about that. All right. So that is a one-person show that I did uh, a couple years ago now. Mm -hmm. it, uh, it's uh, it, it, the, the story is it's kind of about it's it's basically about a breakup that I went through when I lived out in California and I took I also write poetry and so what I did is I took some of my spoken word poetry and mixed it with my stand up into one complete show oh. so it kind of tells the story of the relationship from the beginning to the end of the relationship and like I said, it combines poetry, stand-up, and storytelling. I'm excited to see that. I haven't watched that yet. That was something that I learned that was new about my friend Dan when you sent that over in your bio. So, uh, is it a, um, a full-on production? Is it a, uh, a one-man show with you just on a camera by yourself? Or, you know, did it actually take a crew of some sort and some editing? And obviously, you know, it's on Amazon Prime, so it's got to have meet certain you know, production quality. Um, and then the, the iteration of the idea to, to, to the finished product, how long did that take you? Well, so the production, it was, it was a semi-professional production. I would say I didn't have a full crew. I had a friend who is in video production and it was a multi-cam situation, but he didn't need operators. He just ran back and forth, you know, cause it wasn't, you know, he didn't need somebody because there wasn't a lot of panning and moving around right. with it. All the cameras were stationary. So he just went back and forth between them. And then I had a professional audio recording and engineer that did, you know, he came in and recorded the audio. My friend, other friend came in and did the video. My friend mixed the audio, then he sent it over to my other friend who then did some editing, mm -hmm. you know, between the shots and things like that. So that way it was a full, you know, high quality video product once it was done. Um, and then as far as how long it took, I mean, it it really took probably three or four years to complete fully. But a lot of that was because the writing took a long time. But right. when it when I. I mean, it really took over seven years because the relationship was like four years. <laughs> so at any point where you're like, I'm waiting for this to conclude so that I could turn this into a fantastic <laughs> performance. 
This will be amazing. Uh, right? <laughs> well, the funny thing is, I never even had the idea to do a one-person show or even, you know, about that relationship or what happened or anything. It, it was another comedian friend that suggested it because in the end, it was a weird situation where we had a wedding and then a couple days later, we we broke up. We basically had a faux wedding is oh, what goodness. it ended up being. Yeah, it's like a crazy crazy thing or whatever and uh i was talking to a comic friend they were asking what happened you know and we were just kind of talking and she was like you know you should turn that into a one-man show because yeah. that is a crazy story right. and i was like huh eh, maybe <laughs> and i thought about it i kicked the idea around a little bit and i kind of did some writing and and at the time during the breakup i was writing a little more poetry my comedy got a lot stronger because i got a lot more you know i was a lot more raw with it and honest about it and, uh, you know, the feelings that I was feeling. And I kind of, you know, doodled here, doodled there. And then over the, you know, next couple of years, I kind of, it would, it was a project that I would put, you know, I'd work on it a little bit and then kind of put it off to the side, work on it. And then I realized it was already written. It was just not formulated into one situation. You know, because it was uh, or in one script. You know, I had right. my stand up over here and my poetry over here. It all revolved around what was going on. So I was like, oh, all I really needed to do is put this in a format and, and, and you know, a good story. You know, so it's from point A to, to point B, you know, to get there, to carry the story whatever. And so I did that. And then I started I took it out on the road mm -hmm. as a live show and uh to work it out and do some more editing and things like that and then uh and then i recorded it i recorded it at the goss opera house in nice. watertown south dakota mm -hmm. very cool so, yeah it was a it was a cool experience one of the other cool things that you've done that a lot of our comedy friends haven't done is that you know many of us have performed at festivals but you've actually created festivals mm -hmm. for comedians and so yep. tell us about that well that's another thing that i i just kind of i when I want to do something, I just do it. I yeah. guess that's the thing. Like I'm very, I'm very, uh, indie mm -hmm. in the way of like, you know, I like doing indie filmmaking. I like to do everything I can myself, you know, I'm a big do it yourself person. And that was a thing that when I lived in San Diego, there wasn't a comedy festival in San Diego and it's a pretty big city. Right. And you know, there's a lot of, a lot of the bigger cities had comedy festivals. And even then, there wasn't a lot of comedy festivals, not nearly as many as there is now. Right. Like, you know, even film festivals, there wasn't as many. And now it's like they're everywhere, mm -hmm. you know, like that. They've all just kind of exploded. And I talked to my, you know, my business partner. I had a partner that I did a lot of producing with. We produced a lot of uh, shows. And I was like, hey, what do you think about a festival? And so we kind of talked about doing it. And then we... We found out that one of the comedy clubs owned the website, San Diego Comedy Festival, because okay. they were kind of kicking the idea of trying to get something going, but they always put it in the back burner. Right. Sure. So we, so instead of competing with them, we just approached them and we're like, hey, we're thinking about doing a festival. We see you have this. You haven't did anything with this for like three, four years. What are you guys doing? They're like, well, we want to do something with it, but we just... We don't ever have time. They're always concentrating on, you know, their big days like, you know, their, their uh, you know, like Valentine's Day, New Year's Eve, all these big shows where they make, you know, their money or whatever. Right. And they just kept putting that in the back burner. And so we're like, hey, why don't you let us run it for you and let us see what we can do? And so we just, you know, we took what little knowledge we had of producing live shows and applied it to a comedy festival. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, and it worked out pretty good. Because yeah. that one, I did that for five years. It's still going. I'm not part of that festival anymore. But, you know, they're going on like their sixth or seventh year now. Their seventh year for that festival. And then from there, I ended up creating another one when I moved back to the Midwest, which is the one that's near and dear to my heart. And that's Snow Jam Comedy Festival. Mm -hmm. And that takes place in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Okay. Well, you have a you are a kindred spirit with our friend Jayton over there because he is the one that... uh that was the primary instigator for the Twin Cities Film Fest. And now we are coming up on year 11, 11. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. 
Yeah, again, passion breeds uh, innovation, right? So you just you're passionate about something, you get the right people involved, and um, much like yourself, you you just want to do something, you just want to start something, and hopefully, it uh, it uh, picks up speed, picks up fire, and it just kind of becomes its own little thing. And ideally, you can say you can step back whenever you want and go. I created that, and it's in good hands, and it was valuable to the community overall. So. <laughs> Um, it's no small feat starting a festival of any sort, but to have one run on a regular basis, consistently, professionally, right. continuing to grow, um, that's no small feat. And the one thing that I tell anybody who says, hey, you know, tell me a little bit more about the nonprofit, the film festival. I said, here's my first thing. Don't start one. <laughs> you Nah, it, just go start a for-profit. Like, yeah. go start a for-profit that if you want to make money, do not start a nonprofit. If you yeah. are passionate but don't want to work your butt off, don't start one. Yeah. Um, passionate is one thing. Working hard is another thing on top of that. So, um, oh, no, yeah. <laughs> I'm appreciative of individuals like yourself who have the passion, who have the diligence, who have the um, the fourth, the fourth right um, um uh, work ethic to make it happen. So kudos to you. Uh, thank you. I will. I'd like to take all the credit, but I can't. It's a team effort, you know. Like with Snow Jam, I have a great team. There was some other comics that we kind of that helped kind of co-create it and help make it what it is. And the nice thing about that, the work that I did with the uh, the San Diego Comedy Festival really fueled me to do this because while I had a lot of you know, made a lot of the decisions and did a lot of the work for the San Diego Comedy Festival. At the end of the day, I didn't own it. I didn't have all the creative control. I was working, you know, for other people. And so if they won't, it was their way eventually, you know, right. it wasn't, you know, there were certain things I couldn't do because it was out of my control. And when we started this other festival, well, even though I have other people help, I solely own the festival. So I have complete creative control. So I was able to do everything that I couldn't do with the other one and put it into this. Well, that's you know, like one of the biggest things was I wanted it to be a fundraiser. So that festival actually raises money for Special Olympics South Dakota. That's who we've been partnering with for the last uh, four years. And I think we're going to continue. We're taking next year off because of COVID. Right. We don't we don't feel right because because we we really rely heavily on the community support, you know, with sponsorships and things like that, because we're trying to raise money for uh, Special Olympics. We just don't feel right about asking for money when all businesses are kind of hurting, you know. So we're we're going to take this next year off and then go from there. But um, so, yeah, so that was the other thing. And, I, and the other thing that I didn't like about doing the San Diego Comedy Festival is that it was a contest. And one thing I have noticed is that, Unless comedians came from the same city and they were already in the same circles, there wasn't a lot of camaraderie right. because they're competition. So they didn't want to like hang out. You know, they come do their competition and they're, you know, just not quite wanting to be buddies or whatever. Where with this festival, the, the Snow Jam Festival, it's like camp. Yeah. You know, there's no it's not a contest. It's it's all about doing great shows for great audiences and raising money for a good cause. And everybody comes and has a good time. And they, you know, I've had very, we've had very few complaints from the comedians that have performed at our festival. And, and that's what really makes it worthwhile when we can look at it and people are like, this is great. Congratulations. So. That is fantastic. And I, you know, as someone who's been to both kinds, I agree with you. It is nice just to kind of go and go, I'm here to network and hang out and meet some new people. And I'm not worried mm-hmm. about, whether I came to win, you know, like, yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. and that does make a big and difference. I know some people are fueled it, by that. It's just not my job. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And we're fully upfront about it. Too. Right. Like that's the, that's the other thing, you know, there's a lot of festivals that'll kind of, you know, they, they, they're very, they're very, uh, skeevy. They're just trying to make money. They don't really care about what the shows or this, you know, or that. And they're kind of, they kind of, don't tell you all the details, kind of keep you in the dark, whatever. And we're straight up. Hey, this is what it is. We're right. not, we don't, we don't pay. This is a, you know, this is a fundraiser. You know, you're not, you know, we'll try to get industry here to come watch. We don't guarantee industry is going to come and watch. It's out of our control. But what we are going to do is we're going to, you know, we, we've often covered hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. 
So we're going to provide you with a hotel while you're at the festival, whether you're here for one day or the all three days. Doesn't matter. Even if you're not performing, if you come for the whole festival, we put you up for the whole weekend. And then we're going to try to give you the best shows with the best audiences we can. And so that's, you know, that's what we've been doing. Well, and I, I bet, Shannon, for you, that allows you, if you were invited to something like this, that allows you to work a little bit more on some of the uh, uh, things that you've been thinking about because you have no pressure and you have the network there that can help you uh, workshop a couple of things as well. So if you want to try something, this would be a good platform to at least give it a shot. I think mm-hmm. the other thing oh, that's absolutely. good about it is a lot of what happens when you're in comedy is it's such an individual sport. Like those of us that mm-hmm. do storytelling or who do uh, improv or do or, or just actors in general, the community is built differently. But they, they you know, like so for some reason, stand up comedy is different and kind of based upon this Highlander mentality where if you're not getting a show, it's because somebody else, you know, instead of reminding everybody yep. that there should just be more stage time for all of us and that we should be able to build uh, a team and a network and all work together that doesn't get fostered very often. And so having no. something like this where you go, look, Hey, we're, we're, we're all different. We're all, we're all funny. You know, we all do what we do instead of it being, well, let's figure out a way to pick everybody apart. I think is actually really good for the scene mm-hmm. to have more things that are like that where you go, no, let's, you know, figure out, you know, if we can meet somebody and if we all meet up in, in Sioux Falls, then it's, well, maybe I met somebody that's from Chicago or somebody that's from, you know, Montana or something. Now we all know each other and we can go, mm-hmm. well, I'll come hang out with you. And then here's how you come hang out with me in my town. And that just doesn't happen very often. So it's great to have some more outlets for that. Yeah. And that has absolutely happened at our festival. I mean, I know comics that are still friends that live all over the country. And, you know, an example, there's a comic from the East Coast. His name's Alan Richardson. He's did the festival a couple times now. A couple of Minneapolis comics Mm -hmm. were on, you know, they met him or whatever. He came through and did a tour a couple summers ago and we all helped put on shows for him. He came he was in the cities. He was back in Sioux Falls, all over, you know, wherever. And all these comics that he met at this festival kind of help, you know, get sh- shows and stuff for him. And help is, him fill some dates and stuff. That is fantastic. So congratulations on that. And you let me know if there's anything we can do when you relaunch uh, once we can start doing it. Like, are you considering doing any of the, like, hybrid things? Like, maybe just some... Zoom-ish type virtual shows during the days of when you would normally do the festival or any we, placeholder events? We're, we are thinking about doing some stuff virtually. I mean, honestly, if we wanted to do the festival, we could. There's no restrictions in South Dakota about anything okay. regarding <laughs> COVID like that. We could pack a hundred people shoulder to shoulder if we wanted. <laughs> you wow. know, like that's how less <laughs> they don't care about it over there. <laughs> But like I said, we're it's more about we're a community. We need the community and we just don't feel right about, you know, when all the community is kind of hurting, because even though they haven't really shut down, some businesses did scale back on their own and things like that. And a lot of businesses were affected. But we have talked about doing maybe not the same weekend that we would normally do it, but we've thought about maybe doing some stuff throughout the year, you know, just to keep. Face so people are aware. Hey, we're still here. We're right. not going anywhere. Plus, we're think you know we're we're going to probably try to get involved in other local events. You know, different things. You know, maybe try sponsoring some other stuff just to keep our face out there and stuff, and be involved. And in, you know, that way the community knows we we're still here. Perfect. Well, if there's anything we can do to help you promote that, we're happy to do that. And so, you know what, Jayton, I was thinking about this when I asked Dan. Okay, what things are you super into? We both dabble in true crime, but we've never done an episode on true crime. That's right. Here, I brought, I got no. you some, some music, oh, Dan. Yeah, I don't, we, we, I don't think we've ever had. I think we've certainly had individuals who've kind of expressed um, interest in it, but we've never actually done a, at least have a conversation, true in depth conversation about why somebody's so infatuated with true crime shows or, or even podcasts for well, that matters, right? Like right. The, the, the true crime podcasts that are out there. Um, and what makes somebody um, so ingrained in true crime 
because uh, my wife would not watch anything true crime. Right. You know, I'll watch a, I'll watch a movie because I'm I'm more I'm more of a movie buff than I am uh, episodics. Um, so I'll watch and again the one show that on HBO is it true crime? Is it uh, yep. what's the one? Marshall Ali was on. Oh, True Detective. True Detective. True Detective. So it's not true crime, but it's detective-based episodics, and they did it really well. So I got into that a little bit, but I've never really once watched like NCIS anything. Really? Ever? Yeah. No, I've never really gotten into that. Um, and I know you can jump in, jump out, and not have not not miss a beat. Essentially. Um, I gotta and, be honest. Yeah. I hate that shit. <laughs> Oh, that's coming my from least... somebody who loves true crime stuff. Those ones are kind of like my least favorite, too. I do like the one with LL Cool J on it, but not because it's a good show. I just like LL Cool J in that show. Sure. So, that, that's but, fair. That's yeah, fair. Like, there's nothing. So, I mean, I'm not an NCIS fan either. I did uh, follow all of the CSIs. I did the CSIs, and those were interesting for a while because you could very much follow them based upon the color scheme of the town they were in. So if you watch the mm-hmm. regular CSI, they were in Vegas, so it was a little reddish-orange all the time. And then they had Miami, and that was like bright yellowish in their in their, their filters on their camera. And then when you're in New York, everything was like blue and gray hues. And so I watched all of those. So, Dan, what got you into true crime? I've always been a fan of crime, true crime. Like, and and I've I've kind of worked some of this into my stand up, but so I'm not trying to like do jokes at you, but <laughs> I okay, well yeah, I'm not trying to do that, but like it is real life. Like when I was a kid, I thought like I always romanticized like robbers and mobsters and things like that, and I thought you could grow up to be a criminal. Like that's a <laughs> you know I was not very bright, but like that was your that goal, was, like the idea, like you could grow up and become a made man. You know what I mean? Like that whole <laughs> concept. Uh, and so I've always been, you know, into like true crime because of that. Like I, I will admit I tried to be a criminal. Oh, what got, variety? Got shoplifting when I was 11 oh, and wow. my spree, you know, that's fascinating. <laughs> okay. Then this like, gives me like, I want to broaden this geek thing. When you play role playing games, do you pick the thief or the rogue? Then do you want to be the villain all the time? Fascinating. Absolutely. Fact, fascinating. Almost every, almost every role playing character I've ever played has a rogue esque <laughs> quality. It's, it, you know, it's, Usually nine times out of 10, I play a rogue. And even the one time out of 10 that I don't, it's still got rogues. Wow. Yeah. Two of our friends are in the same camp as you. They are always rogues and villains. And I'm go, why am I friends with you? Because you are just sketchy. Like you want like (laughs) like you you are intentionally sketchy. Like you woke up this morning and said, if I could select. To be sketchy or not sketchy. (laughs) But you're not even chaotic chaotic. good. You're just chaotic, chaotic. You're not even Exactly. (laughs) You just don't know what you're going to get with me. I might be good for a while, and then I might not. We're going to introduce you to two of our friends and two of our favorite people on on BR Geek. Our friend Peter, our friend Peter, who is always a villain and would be the evil queen in every nightmare if he could. Also, our friend Jake Stubby J. Beaver. He, we will, like, he has read every 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 book on being a villain. Like, if he could write another book, it would be on being a villain. You guys fascinate me as just a, a, a methodology, the people that enjoy being a because remind me, Jayton, where do you live in that whole world? Like, are you kind of in between? I feel like that's what came out last time. Yeah, I'm in between. I yeah. mean, for me, I see the allure of being chaotic mm-hmm. um, and being the disruptor and being the, the individual uh, or the character that incites other people to think about their normal lives. Um, because, again, if you're a true if you're a villain, you're coming at it from a very different perspective. You have your agenda on what you think the society should be doing. Um, power obviously has a lot to do with it. Ego obviously has a lot to do with it. Um, but I can easily find myself in that middle ground of, of being attracted to the hero side on quote unquote being the savior, not necessarily of the world, but even of a community or even a, a specific uh, um, um, uh, mindset of, I think innately I should be good, 
but there is certainly components of, but why am I good? Why am I following this <laughs> that everybody else? So yeah, I fall in the middle somewhere. And anyone who yeah. listens to our show uh, knows that I am lawful good to a fault. Like I am the <laughs> I am the quintessential paladin. Like I've tried to do like when we play video games where they let you like I've been curious about. Well, what happens if you do this, the the storyline where they're bad and I can't follow through on it? Like I always halfway through detour back to ending up <laughs> on the side. Oh, of that's funny. I feel guilty if I'm playing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I feel guilty if I'm playing. I'm trying to like Mass Effect or something <laughs> and I start yeah. answering like a jerk just to see what happens. I'm like, I feel I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. I feel so bad. <laughs> With what I told this fictitious character in my video game, <laughs> and I course correct back. So yeah, I I just can't. I am never a rogue. My well, ex husband was always a rogue, and I should have thought about that when we were dating. I said this is clearly not going to work. We fundamentally well, have differences. So <laughs> I need to clarify though. For me, it isn't so much being evil that I'm attracted to. It's the it's the gypsy nomadic quality. And that's even in my life. I I kind of identify as that. Like, mm-hmm. I move around a lot. I'm very free-spirited, and that's how I feel the rogue. <laughs> you know, especially, especially in role-playing. Rogues are just free-spirited. They just kind of do what they want and get through the day. You, you can know? be a traveling paladin. We travel. Like, can you tell I'm all getting my feelings hurt? <laughs> it always, yeah, makes, right, it always like, makes it sound like being the hero, like being the paladin. We're just so until stiff. the king tells you to guard the castle, and, and I then will you won't travel. I would have guarded the castle anyway. Probably, I would have said this I castle needs guarding. <laughs> Clearly, someone should be guarding this landscape. I will do it until someone else comes along. So I think so. <laughs> So that makes sense that you are watching True Cry because you go, what can I learn from this? As this is, you know, as, as for the documentary that it is, I am watching it going, I am so glad they caught those people. And if not, what can I do? What can I do to assist them in catching that person? Have you ever, have you ever, um, just Googled or wikied, um, true crime, Dan? Um, I, not really. Okay. I good. mean, I've got some stuff for you. So, okay, if you wiki it, here's what it starts with. True crime is a nonfiction, literary, podcast, and film genre in which the author examines an actual crime and details the actions of real people. Now, here's when they get mean. Okay, now it goes on to this. True crime works can impact the crimes they cover and the audience who consumes it. The genre is often criticized for being insensitive to the victims and their families and is described by some as trash culture. I was like, oh, yeah. that got harsh Whoa. fast. <laughs> like, trash culture, maybe. You know, I get that. I feel like whoever wrote that, uh, whoever filled in that wiki, yeah. uh, probably was somebody that was affected by a true crime <laughs> podcast. <laughs> exactly. They're like, you were talking about my cousin, and now you're all miserable people. It's funny, though, because if you go into it, there's a lot of historical context, surprisingly, for true crime. It goes back to, you can look back into the 1500s when they were passing out pamphlets and chapter books and street literature that was about murders and other crimes <laughs> that they would be out oh, there. Wow. Yeah, and so you would find all these things, and then as printing methods became more widespread, that was like the inception of like these true crime novellas um, and you can go and watch like they what they say is Truman Capote's nonfiction novel in cold blood from 1965 is credited with establishing the modern novelistic style of the genre and I think that's a fascinating thing too because now you can watch it there are multiple po- there are hundreds of podcasts all kinds of TV shows multiple yep. networks that focus on true crime and some networks that are supposed to be focused on something else and then for large expansion of the day pivot into a variety of true crime programming and so I was one of the ones that more than I would watch the fictionalized version of it I would watch all of the uh, the forensic files and the unsolved mysteries and the uh, the one that you could get on on oxygen network there's one called snapped so it's always about women uh serial killers not all serial killers just murderers murderers in general um and this is another little interesting fun fact i thought you'd like it says that approximately 40 percent of true crime uh content matter 
focuses on the tales of serial killers. Forty percent of them are serial killers. Not, yeah, not surprised. Yeah. Yeah, and see, and this is a this is kind of a funny thing with me is even though I do listen to I, I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, I prefer ones that are not about murder. Right. Okay. Like directly, like I'm not a big like I'm not a oh. I know all the serial killers and I'm studying them and this and that or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm not really into that. Like I, my, one of my favorite podcasts is called the heist podcast and they very, very rarely have anything stories with murder. Sometimes the story they're covering has a murder, but that's not the focal point of the story. So they'll basically just be like, Oh yeah. And this guy died. And then they move on. Cause they've, yeah. they're, they're deliberately trying to stay away from that kind of stuff, you know. So, and I would say I, heist I, movies are one of my favorite movies to watch. You know, mine too. Uh, yeah, I mean, I love watching the like the drama behind. Is are they going to get away with it? Are not going to get. Are they are they playing the Robin Hood where they're stealing from the rich and ideally going to give it to the poor or whatever in their mind, whoever that is. Um, but no, there's absolutely thrill in, in watching a heist anything. Oh, absolutely. To me, it's like watching uh, a game of chess. Right. You know, because you have the two parties, they're doing their, you know, they're, you know, they're doing their moves and stuff to try to basically outwit and outsmart their opponent. And in the case of a heist, it's usually the police versus the heister. Uh, you know, or, yeah. you know, or it, in some movies, it has nothing to do with police. It's, you know, the opponent is the security system at, a you know, fancy museum or something. And how are they going to get away with it? And all these, you know, all these different elements to it. Right. Well, I always think it's interesting when you, you know, sub genre these overall categories like true crime, because I don't like the ones like I'm not such a fan of the violent and, and murdery ones that I watch the like I'm I'm less inclined to watch a unsolved mysteries. I like the ones mm-hmm. that have the resolution. You know, and I think that there's something about that that, you know, I, you know, when if you look at the the fictionalized versions of it, if we're going a CSI versus a criminal mind, I was less a fan of the criminal minds of the world because it was too. I didn't like the way that they kind of presented it, like maybe it's okay that the the villain is out there and doing their thing like it was too like it was too close Mm -hmm. to home like that just creeped me out when if I'm watching a forensic files where it's about the science I like the ones where it talks about constructing the uh, or deconstructing what the crime was but then the science ish stuff behind it where they solve it so I like watching the how they the mechanisms to how they figure out how these things happen so kind of the opposite side of what you guys like from the heist perspective I like them solving it and how that works but that kind of makes sense because i am not a big heist movie fan but i do like murder mysteries from the perspective of there's some sort of sleuth that then goes out and try and solves the crime so i like a lot Mm -hmm. of those kind of shows i do prefer shows that have resolution too with that like when it comes to like non-fictional true crime types of shows law and order is Mm -hmm. my jam yes like i'm Mm -hmm. a hardcore law and order uh specifically uh svu mm-hmm. is my one of my favorites and it's because you know it really puts it all in there you know they have the crime then they solve the crime they build their evidence and then most episodes end with the trial right or you know and then the resolution of them <clears throat> being convicted or in very rare cases not being convicted right um or being acquitted but shows like that but i I really do like like real, you know, not just non-fictional stuff, but like watching forensic files, Mm -hmm. you know, the first 48. Right. You know, shows like that Dateline. Dateline's another one, you know, that we often watch. Is there anything streaming uh, some of the new things on streaming platforms as opposed to the traditional uh, channels that you are more attracted to that people could binge? Well, they're actually because I've always been a big mob fan too like that was another thing that's another part of the true crime genre that i really follow and really fascinated by uh there's actually a new one about uh the fbi taking down the five crime families in new york on netflix it's called uh uh fear city the new york versus the mob the mafia and uh it's a limited series it's a three part three part doc about how they kind of did it so when you were, the major players. 
When you were sitting in Sioux Falls, were you like, I wish we had a mobster here? Like, were you waiting to like? <laughs> well, so funny. Would you have funny like been like, is, an, like a, and, uh, <laughs> if we were going to like, I would apprentice myself to the Sioux Falls yeah, mafia. Right, exactly. Okay. Like, I honestly, I honestly think like if I could have been, a, if I was, could have picked any like decade or, or era to be part of, I would have wanted to be part of the 20s and 30s. Like, I wanted like that is, I totally would have been. That would have been my jam. Wandering uh, around a, with though, a Tommy gun, waiting to crack some bank with an old school safe. That's right. Okay. That's right. Getting the old Model T, <laughs> kind of speed away. Okay. <laughs> speed ish. I, uh, I can easily see you with a fedora, walking down with a suit on, and just kind of giving the eye and like, like got no, the pinky eight. ring, you know. There we go. All right. Oh, nine yards. Next it's time we cosplay, that's what I expect. So, <laughs> I grew up in a really small town, uh, in about less than 20,000 people. But there was a bar that uh, uh, it was like a neighborhood, like grocery store bar, like a whole that was in my neighborhood. And they are, actually had stories. And whether it's true or not, I feel like it's just like small town lore. But that particular building in that town that uh, Al Capone actually came and hit out there multiple times. And I do know from doing some research, because I've, you know, I've been looking at starting my own uh, true crime-inspired podcast, so I was looking at stuff from where I, the town that I lived in when I grew up, because uh, about one in every every three years has been a murder in this town that I grew up in. And for me, that was kind of fascinating because of the size of the town. Like right. that number seemed kind of high to me. But anyway, like in the 30s, there was a sheriff that ended up becoming a notorious hitman for the mafia. So he like started, he was in a, he was born in Kimball, South Dakota. He joined the army. He was a, you know, decorated soldier, came back, became the sheriff, then ended up, and this was during the probation era, ended up stealing some money from the county, then went to jail. Then when he came out of jail, he just went straight up criminal, eventually wow. turned into a hitman. He was the one, he was uh, responsible for the Kansas City Massacre, like all this stuff, you know, like, so while it sounds like it's like, oh, just small town, look at us. I, there's a little bit of me that's like, you know what? With these ties to prohibition in in the 30s and 40s, I could see where this might be a real thing. Yeah, absolutely. I would be fascinated, and I don't know if this already exists. So, your true crime inspired podcast would it be something along that vein? Or let's look at smaller towns and go. Here's where they had a tie as well. We well, so the reason I say inspired because yeah. it's not going to be fully true crime, but it is. I want to focus. It's gonna. I'm. I'm hoping to focus more on the Midwest, primarily, probably South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota. The name the, of the podcast is Red Prairie Podcast, mm -hmm. and instead of like doing your typical, uh, here's the facts, you know, maybe with a co-host, whatever your typical true crime podcast that there's thousands of already. I'm going to do write uh, narratives that are inspired by the crimes oh. and it's going to be more of a storytelling mm -hmm. so i'm going to write my own stories that are inspired by these events so it's not all you know kind of my interpretation of what might have happened sure you know and the, this particular uh guy his name is Vern miller he i'm probably going to focus on him for the first couple of episodes right. like that's kind of the idea that i want to do but i do want to focus on because i feel like and I know there is there's a podcast called Small Town Murder where there's a podcast that does do some of it. But I don't know. I don't feel like we in the Midwest gets representative enough with true crime. I mean, a lot of crazy stuff does happen here. But right. you, you never really hear about it. Right. You know? It's like it's surprisingly like when you hear something that gets somebody gets disappeared here, you're like, oh, and I think it's fascinating because we do live in a part of the country that. Things can just disappear and there's all these questions and people just stop asking. It seems like if it's in the Midwest, 
Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, and that I think is an interesting phenomenon here. Not that I'm encouraging anyone out there to go out and crime. In fact, the opposite. I prefer you don't oh, crime. Yeah, don't absolutely crime. Don't. Um, so I'm not saying that if you, you do, don't get caught. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Don't crime. I'd rather not talk about you, uh, and, and in your criminess. Uh, there's usually quite often where I'm like, it seemed like it would have been easier to not crime, but you elected to crime. So. You know, let's prefer that we don't cry. So I am a cute. Uh, I I just want to hear about your fictionalized version of all of these crimes, Dan. I think that'll be yeah, fabulous. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's yeah, that's the idea. So yeah, um, it's funny though because you know we're talking about not doing crimes or whatever, and I always joke. You know, I got caught shoplifting when I was eleven trying to steal. You know, uh, Justice League action figures. <laughs> um, and I was. It's funny. I was like, yeah, I learned a very valuable lesson that day. Don't get caught. <laughs> <laughs> Wise That was words. my takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> Record something. Right. Wise words from Dan Bublitz Jr. We want to encourage everybody to go to your YouTube channel because they can see your new special 25 Live. So that was just posted uh, in May, right? That just got posted. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and and that wasn't like that wasn't nearly filmed as fancy as the one man show. That was just a recording that I took from a really good show at uh and just put it out there right just to have some content out there that is fantastic that people go and find that they can also find your podcast art of bombing the art of bombing podcast and that's a weekly podcast now right because you've gotten busy again as uh, which is congratulations congratulations because a lot of us were all pumping out so much more content because we're like we're at home so it's nice that people are like you know what I'm going back to a regular schedule because things yeah. are becoming busy-ish. So congratulations yeah, on that. Slow down. <laughs> <laughs> so let's tell everybody about that, and we'll make sure we link to all of that on our pages as well. So Art of Bonding, uh, yeah, tell us about that oh, a little bit, Dan. Okay, so the Art of Bonding, can't even talk. The Art of Bombing, see, I just bombed saying the <laughs> title. Uh, can't even say the promote my own podcast. <laughs> uh, it is a comedy. It is a comedy podcast uh, mostly. I have I've had other guests on there, but I typically talk to performing artists about bombing on stage. Mm-hmm. And basically, the, the the concept is finding success through failure. Right. I there are not a lot of podcasts that focus on the the kind of the the dark part of comedy, which bombing and doing poorly is, but. I wanted to bring a different perspective because I feel like you can learn from failure, you know? Right. And so I talk to comedians and performers about their bad sets. And then we talk about what they took from them, you know, what they try to do to get better and uh, become better performers. Right. Well, I think it was fantastic. And again, I was very excited to be on it. And so I'm sorry, Jaden, did I get in your way? Did you have something to say? No, I think everybody in their professional life can learn from that. Because mm-hmm. everybody bombs a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, and whether you realize it or not, you can learn from, again, professional comedians are used to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, this is literally, I'm an actor as well. I'm used to the word no. And right. at a certain point, you don't take it personally. You're like, I just wasn't right for the role. But at a certain point, you learn from everything you're doing and you build upon it. So it's not, again, I think a lot of other professions could also learn from the show and the fact that you have to move beyond it. And what did you learn and how can you, how did you do better the next time you were up there? Oh, absolutely. And like I said, I've had, you know, I've had musicians, I've had burlesque dancers, I've had uh, convention directors Mm. uh, on there, you know, I've had entrepreneurs, business people. So you know, while it's comedy strong with comedian, you know, usually comedians, there are a whole bunch of different types of guests That's on great. the show too. So it's awesome. Well, I'm excited to continue listening to your podcast, Art of Bombing, and encourage people to go on your YouTube page, 25 Live. Jayton, before we wrap up, do you want to tell them a little bit of some of the stuff that's going on with the Twin Cities Film Fest is as we move forward, hitting September and October in stride? Yeah. So we're in the final phases of uh, curating all of our films this year and and for COVID reasons, we are going to have majority of our festival be online on our streaming platform. Uh, with the recorded Q and A's and Zoom calls and all that fun stuff, some live stuff too. And then we're we're, we're truly working with the theaters to do something, not necessarily a full on festival. We're not South Dakota by any means, um, <laughs> but something to to still have that in person gathering 
appeal to the experience. So again, a couple of screenings here and there, social distancing, masks required in a big theater where we can have, you know, a solid 100 people and they can easily just sit away from each other, but also enjoy the experience. So a lot of things are going to happen over the next couple of weeks. Uh, We launched our Empower series. Uh, We have our Changemaker series. And again, we're going to try. My job is to, by by any means necessary, I want to make this festival be the most affordable festival anybody has ever seen. So I I truly want to make the festival free for everybody. So I'm doing my darndest to work with partners and donors and sponsors to be able to cover those ticket costs and literally make everything free so that we are all enjoying arts and visual storytelling in these times in the comfort of our own homes without the um, scare of going out there. So, but I still want to be, again, I still want to encourage people to consume art in any capacity that they can. So what can we do to make it happen? So again, nothing set yet, but that's my goal this year. Well, I'm excited, and I always appreciate you allowing me to be part of what goes on at the Twin Cities Film Fest. We encourage everybody to find out more by going to our website. It's TwinCitiesFilmFest.org. You can follow our show. Look for BR Geek Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at BRGeekShow at gmail.com. We encourage you to like, subscribe, and listen to us everywhere you like your favorite podcast. And you can be part of the show if you want to leave us a message. That number is 612-276-2774. So we encourage you to continue to be part of our geek show community and dan we appreciate you joining us we'd love to have you come back on early and often oh thank you yeah that would be great definitely so everybody go out there look for dan bublitz jr make sure you follow everything on the twin cities film fest and we appreciate you being part of the show remember everyone is a geek about something To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.